0: is the bloody disgusting podcast network. and ghouls. Lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio.
1: I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor. And we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 171. Here's a Boo Crew
2: Fright Fact. Halloween edition. According to superstition, if a zombie is fed and salt, it restores their soul and personality.
1: This time around, we are joined by artist and musician Ghost Mane. Hang out with him as he talks about his much awaited new album, Anti Icon, at time of release available everywhere as of October twenty first. He seriously is a spectacular guy, and this album really will usher in a sea change in music as he continues to deconstruct and build worlds through sound and visuals. Learn about the horror and genre films that are embedded into the DNA of his work. The incredible journey he has taken you on in the world of stop animation in his music videos. We talk about the occult, astrophysics, and so much more. Episode 171 starts now.
3: This is Ghostman and you're checking out another terrifying episode of The Boo Crew.
1: Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an illustrious and enigmatic creator. What he is accomplishing, both visually and sonically, has really never been done before. He has ventured to the extremes and most visceral elements of artistic expression, those which exist shrouded in mystery and darkness, even, combined it with a hermetic fury steeped in ancient secrets, and has emerged as his guide to that underworld in a black obsidian mirror almost to our true selves, with lyrics that whisper, An intense hope amidst the chaos and frenetic attack of the churches, he continues to build through sound and wrapping the light and dark inside of itself. There is an alchemic reaction he causes that awakens something in us. He's incredibly prolific, with seven studio albums, over 10 EPs, and scores of features, including his black metal project, Bader Meinhof, and exploring hardcore with Fear Network. His new album, Anti-Icon, out October 21st, is a calculated attack. The experience is at once absolutely terrifying, shockingly vulnerable, and blissfully assuring, we are honored to welcome Ghost Main.
0: Yeah! Yeah.
3: Dude, Damn. I wish uh, I wish you could you could write stuff for every publication.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what you do is incredible and congratulations on this insane album, number eight. It's a remarkable piece of work. And as I said, it really awakens something. It shakes us up.
3: I was just gonna say really quick, like just that whole intro, like kind of really uh Made me realize, like it's it's half what I do, and then also half how it's how it's interpreted, I think, and how it's perceived. Because it's no matter what you do, I think, like every artist gets misinterpreted somewhere along the line by you know most people. So it's like, at, like as someone who who you know spends a lot of time creating stuff and everything, it's it's refreshing when you see someone who uh, takes it in, I think, the way it's meant to be. So that's that's sick. I just to say, that.
1: listening to this thing in headphones is like walking through a haunted house where you are the architect of the experience. Like it really is an experience. And every last production decision works like an assault. And I was wondering if you could talk about the process of crafting that and that attention to detail that you put into this.
3: Totally. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. My management actually, they have said this like countless times that it's just such a unique sort of unconventional process, I guess. And really what it is, is like, pretty much every time I drop a record, I start on the next one right away. Cause it's kind of this fear of being complacent and uh, getting too wrapped up in something that's already done and I can't change it anymore. It's already out, you know, so pretty much to distract myself, I start working on the next thing, you know, which is what I did with, with this. Once I dropped noise two years ago, I started just kind of chipping away at, different sounds and ideas and stuff that I had that would eventually become this. And it was a long process, really like kind of cultivating different parts of these instrumentals. And then like, you know, have like a ton of files of just, you know, 25 ideas. And then I end up like mixing multiple ones to kind of create one song, you know, that happens often. And then it's sort of just like this constant, like, like a sculptor starting with like a rock and then just like picking away at until it starts to look like something, I guess, you know, never really uh, set out to make an album as weird as that sounds. I just kind of like set out to make something that starts to feel like it makes sense, I guess, because like it's as unpredictable as some of it might be when you're listening to it. It, it, it feels that way when you're making it too. It's, it's kind of like, where is this going? A lot of times I don't even know. I just, it kind of just, I let whatever it is sort of take me where it's going, I guess. I don't know, which also sounds strange. It's like this sort of ever-evolving thing, I guess. I'll do a lot of the sort of synth electronic parts first and kind of get the the map for everything down, and then I'll lay down some instruments and map out drums and do the guitars and bass and everything, and kind of just put shit on the track and then like work with it later in the past i've suffered from this thing that i i think a lot of people can relate to which is like you, you just kind of get paralyzed where you're like i want to make something so bad i want it to like sound kind of like this but i want it to convey this emotion and like i want it to make me feel this thing and then i'm just paralyzed kind of sitting there looking at my synth or looking at my, my screen or something just like how do i start what do i do but i just started adopting this technique of just like putting shit on there turn the guitar on and just start playing like something. It's pretty much always works. And from there I get some of my favorite moments on, on on the record. And then from there, once everything's written and I, you know, have all the lyrics and I'm ready to like actually track vocals and stuff is when uh my good friend Arthur Rizik comes into the picture. He's done a lot of metal records. If you guys like heavy music, he's probably done some records that you guys listen to and he's just a, a genius. He's probably the big part of that whole like listening to it on headphones, experiential like, you know, vibe, I guess, because he kind of takes the songs and he makes them like experiences, I guess. And he makes everything flow into each other and and just makes the album kind of one big roller coaster, I guess. It takes a lot out of me every, you know, especially this one, because it's really autobiographical. It feels great. This is the first record i think where i'm like content with it finally like i I did something that i'm like really happy with and uh happy to put it out there and, and you know leave it for the world i guess
1: one of the things that uh that i noticed about that world building too which i haven't really heard on on an album before but i've seen in movies which is interesting is the use of negative space and weaponizing negative space in either moments of silence or putting something in that space while we're paying attention to something else something's lurking in the other corner you know and it's uh it's an interesting game and it really like that's another one of those things that just evokes something when you're listening to it is that a conscious decision on on your part to do something and play with with that silence
3: that absolutely is actually and it's like it's again that's that just makes me like ecstatic to hear somebody who actually pays attention to that because that's something that I really decided that I wanted to run with on this one because every record before the last one noise was sort of just an evolution in me building up to what I think, what noise was, I think. And then like a song, like songs like flesh and bone saw on that last record were moments that really like, I guess, paved the way for my like, whole creative process to come i think because like when i made those songs i was like holy shit, this is my formula like this is what i want to do more of and i took that and i applied it to like something like lazaretto or you know it's i mean or like a lot of songs really on the record but i'm obsessed with the juxtaposition between just the loudest most abrasive immersive noise coupled with digital silence and those two playing with each other and battling, I guess, sort of like dark and light. Neither really wins because they have to coexist. Cause you can't have one without the other, I think. And I don't believe that you need to wait till the end of a song to get that breather almost, because it's, it's kind of like the silence is prepping you for what's to come. You know, it's kind of like, it gives you a moment where like you almost feel safe and then you're not, you know, and it's just like, fuck, you know, it's like almost like you get a little anxious, but then you're like, it's over. And you're like, wow, that was I want more of that kind of like a haunted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a scary movie or a haunted house experience, kind of like, I guess now that I'm thinking, I never thought about it like that, but it kind of is now that I uh, think more about it. But yeah, that's definitely one of what's an intentional choice.
2: Are there any films that have helped to establish your creative vocabulary?
3: Yeah, so many when I knew this was coming, I want I was like kind of going back and trying to think about all of the, the films that, that really like hit me and made me want to uh, create because I'm someone who is like, I don't know if this is, this is like a weird thing or if it's more normal than I think I'm actually more inspired to make music when I watch a film that really hits me. Or if I look at an art piece that really hits me or, read a comic that i like or something like that more more so even than than other music inspires me to make music you know it's it's weird like other mediums make me want to like create music but yeah some of those films david lynch is like my god i think in that respect pretty much everything he's ever done that i've seen there's a few that i haven't seen but um blue velvet is something that arthur put me onto while we were recording and then the next day i wrote The track ASMR, and it sort of just kind of came right from that. It was just like speaking from the viewpoint of that psychopath Frank Booth, like, you know, something that he would sort of like indulge in. Yeah, David Lynch, David Cronenberg, John Tanners actually put me onto Videodrome. And from there, I kind of went down like a a wormhole of of some of his stuff, like uh, Scanners and uh, The Fly, actually, I saw a while ago, but I didn't realize it was him. And i thought that one was sick and i realized it was him and i was like that makes total sense the cell is another one that i watched oh, that was um, badass in the album like oh yeah <laughs> dude yeah that was crazy that is sort of like movie version of what i want like my songs to be kind of where it's just like this trippy sort of industrial you know like there's hellscapes and just like surrealism and all over dark city was another one that i watched shortly before writing some of the the lyrics and i love that one And, and i thought it was crazy how it seemed like there's a lot of stuff in that movie that the matrix creators seemed like they took a page out of their playbook for some of that stuff it was just like and it's a really underrated film too it's definitely one of my favorites as far as like modern stuff goes, I, I think Terrifier is one of my favorites. Oh,
0: dude, that so yeah. oh, that's great.
3: <laughs> yeah. And and that might just be because of my ignorance and I don't know any other films that are like that, but like elevated, sort of like 80s B movie stuff with like no CG pretty much and all practical effects and just like awesome score is just like that's like my recipe for
1: an amazing movie Um, the movie's relentless man like what it's it's the craziest (laughs) slasher flick i think i've i mean we've ever seen i mean we we had to turn it off for like a couple
2: days (laughs) i had had to watch like disney princess movies cleanse Cleanse my palate
3: i am the same way i'm exactly the same i like yeah i'll I'll watch horror and then i'm just like holy shit i gotta like put on like fun pop like right after
0: yeah
1: Especially that one, man. Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: well, the second one's coming out soon. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're working on the second one. It's going to be out, I think, yeah, beginning of this next year. My touring makeup artist, Alana,
3: actually um, is working on that, and she worked on the, the first one, too. Oh, shit. Oh. Uh, yeah, She's just, like, a special effects artist. She's gnarly. She's amazing. Modern ones, I guess, also Pinos Cosminos is, like, an obvious, like, Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow. Like, just as far as lighting, like, his lighting and I think just the way you sees the world is just like, when I started seeing uh, like when I watched stuff from him, it kind of uh, ruined a lot of stuff for me almost because it's, it raised the bar so high for production value that I look at stuff now that comes like, you know, Amazon prime originals or Netflix original stuff that, ha- that has like really great concepts that I feel like are just executed like shit. And like, they, don't have any kind of creative lighting or too much cg or just like dialogue even it's just like it's like god damn it like why can't like is there somebody there that just has like a mind that just wants to like go outside the box or something you know but uh yeah he's one of those one of those who like raised the bar i think for me oh hardware actually i was just talking about to mariah yesterday have you guys seen that hardware from the 90s it's like 1991 or something Richard Stanley.
1: Oh shit! Yes, yes Richard yeah, Stanley. Yes. Island of Doctor Moreau. Yeah. Oh Yeah, we had him in. Oh, what a dude, man! Have you seen uh, yeah. Colorado Space? Here. Uh, no. we had him in here before. Yeah, we had him in what? here. Dude,
3: that's crazy. Dude, he cool. was
1: cool. Wow, he was awesome. Yeah, man. he was like he was, he was awesome, talking man. about black magic rituals he was performing during uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau when he was hired to be the director and then fired him and then he hid in the woods while they were making it. And he would do these <gasps> rituals and stuff. <laughs> like, it's a whole. Uh, Dr. Moreau? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole story about that, that guy's amazing.
2: Right? Uh... Or South African?
1: Oh, South
3: African. Yeah, Sorry. That's yes. right. I think yeah. So. That's right. Sorry about that. Yeah. He's gnarly, dude. Uh, he did hardware. It's a must watch. It's another one of those just like awesome practical effects, like ultra gory, but it's like dystopian, set in like a dystopian world, like kind of looks like Fallout, sort of. Or I don't know if you watch anime, but it reminds me of uh, Desert Punk, like kind of just yeah, like gas mask like can't breathe the air because it's so polluted and uh, yeah, set design is just amazing too. It's like one of those really inspiring movies. It reminded me actually of Tetsuo Iron Man. Oh yeah, that one was sick too. Visually, yeah. It was, dude, I know. That's another one.
0: I want to ask you, have you seen Joe Begis' movies, uh, either Bliss or VFW? No. Dude, those are right up your alley, man. Yeah, Bliss. In terms of uh, lighting and style, those are awesome. How do you spell his last name? B E G O S.
1: Uh, Yeah. Bliss is probably the one. It's a great vampire movie, but it's all set in LA. It's so fucking crazy, man.
3: Yeah, I gotta see that. I know I'm I'm like constantly on the lookout for uh, movies that are inspiring because there's just so much shit out there, especially these days. It's
1: like. Have you seen a movie called The Dark Song? Mm mm. Dude, you're going you're gonna to fucking love it. <laughs> you're going to love yeah. it. Yeah. It's about... it's. Yeah. I knew I was going to come out of this. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> a, dark. a Dark Song is a story about a lady who attempts to perform the Abramelin ritual, which is a black magic ritual where you summon your guardian angel. And it oh. actually follows the actual Abramelin ritual that Aleister Crowley performed like twice to summon the guardian. It's like a six to eight month process or something it's like a big deal like you gotta seclude yourself you gotta cleanse yourself and do all this shit like every day binding different spirits and getting everything ready for your guardian angel to come out so the whole movie is about this moment and this ritual it is in it's fucking insane, dude it's beautiful that's right up my alley hell yeah let's get into these fucking unbelievable videos you've been making and you've been breaking new ground yeah. in terms of like stop motion animation for the past couple videos i mean back with thomas Yagadinsky, i think his name is with gattaca and then recently combining those kind of max fleischer esque mm-hmm. 1920s animation with the stop motion on the video for ai and and bonesaw as well and that was Nick ellie who did that with you what's the genesis of that idea and getting into that realm dude that honestly is probably the most collaborative effort
3: as far as like anything goes that I put out is the the visual stuff, especially the the stop motion is like, I knew that I wanted to do a lot more of that last year because I kind of hit this point where um, I dropped a video for one of my songs dread. I liked it, but I just I feel like it didn't really like come out the way that I had envisioned it. And that was for a lot of things, a lot of reasons. And it didn't really do i think what i wanted it to do for the song although you know it was captivating and cool but um it like sort of provoked me to step away from that for a little bit and i, I was just like you know i don't i don't even want to be in any of my videos until whenever and uh decided to start exploring the stop-motion stuff john tanners i believe is the one who who uh brought that nick and thomas i think to uh, to the table and they ended up just being, you know, great collaborative partners. When you do something like that, it's always a process that requires I think input from from multiple people, you know, who kind of share the same vision. So, it started with an idea from John and myself where we cuz you know, we're constantly just obsessed with these like dystopian vision, you know, typically like far future stuff where it's just like anything could happen really so it's like therefore pretty much anything is plausible. you know in this case it's sort of related to like humanity kind of being reduced to going back to tribes essentially and you know back to our primitive roots you know the way that Nick and Thomas as well like build out their you know the set design is just like insane it's like a mini city you know it's like it looks like something that just takes forever like years and i'm like these guys like bang it out and like a matter of weeks it's just like it's just a true art form man and uh and once those once we did yeah bones on gattaca is when i was just like dude yeah i need more of this it really gets the message across i think artistically and and uh it just feels more in line with with the music too i think because the music isn't conventional and you know i don't think it needs conventional visuals to go along with it so AI was us just kind of wanting to take that to the next level. You know, we had the idea to sort of mix the 2D and and the 3D, but I didn't know until it happened pretty much that like the 2D and the 3D were going to be like interacting the way that, that they did, you know? And then I saw what Nick did. I was just like, you psychopath, like that is fucking crazy, you know? And yeah, it was unbelievable. It's a uh, trash gang who made the uh, Mercury retrograde video and squeeze and, and a few other videos where it's, it's edits mixed with some like
1: compositing based on the kind with of like 1920 cartoon. Exactly. Yeah. It really
3: started with them. Once the Mercury video, it dropped like way after the song did. And I didn't even really watch it actually until it had already had like a few million views. And I was just like, well, wow, that's crazy. And then kind of, didn't really think much of it, went back to it like a month or two later. And it was like, okay, like a hundred million views. Like what the fuck, like this is crazy, you know? And I started kind of getting way more into that, I think visually. And it started to make more sense to integrate it, I think, into the themes. I definitely owe it to those guys for bringing that to the table. And we still work with them too. But yeah, then with, with Lazareto, that is all poppy's vision really i mean she is just really talented visual artist i showed her the album like the first draft of the album i guess when it was first ready and she picked out two songs in particular or i think she picked out one the other video that we shot um, that wasn't lazaretto and then i was like we should also do lazaretto and she listened to them both and just came up with these crazy treatments like just wrote it out all like you know professional and like visually just stunning, you know, like with references and everything. And I was just like, wow, like this is going to be legit. I didn't really know what to expect or how it was going to come out, but it, I knew that I I could put it in her hands to make it happen. And uh, we, you know, ended up getting a bunch of stuff together and going to Prague to shoot with Milk and Honey, who are, you know, super legit production company because it was quarantine Like deeper quarantine times, so we couldn't shoot in LA, like everything is just shut down. So we had to travel to do it, and uh, and it you know ended up just coming out amazing. And yeah, one of those is Lazaretto, which already dropped, and then there's another one that's going to come out after the record that uh is even better, in my opinion. Um, that was shot like the day after, and uh, it's just crazy, next level shit. So, man, we can't wait, yeah, but yeah, dude, I mean, it's uh, the visual aspect of everything is is something that i'm really happy with where it's at right now because it it kind of took a while and it, it was like a I was in a rut for a while with it you know because like just sort of yeah like like i said after dread just not really wanting to do live action and then you know having some of the cartoon stuff but figuring out where i wanted to go with it and then yeah it sort of just kind of you know revealed itself i guess like and now we're where we are now and it, it just feels right yeah it feels good
1: i was just can't ask about some of the stuff in that lazaretto video where you're doing some water work man you're i don't know if it's a water tank or what was going on how did you do yeah. that oh dude that was crazy we shot that at the end of everything we had already shot like
3: two full videos videos were completely done and then they took us to this pool uh like an indoor pool and it was one of those like 30 feet deep like diver like they trained scuba divers in it oh, shit and, uh I saw on the shot list like what it was that Poppy and Garrett, the director of photography had written out where it was like, you know, Eric jumping backwards into the pool, struggling basically for air or something, however they worded? it. And I was just like, that's going to be a crazy shot. Like I've never done anything like that before. And then, you know, I was like, I I mean, I have to be fully clothed. Like it's, it's going to look sick like that. And uh, I've never jumped into a pool like with shoes on and stuff. So I wonder how that's going to go. But. And then it hit a small speed bump when we were getting ready to do the shot. It was the morning of that day. And the production company was like, they had all these concerns about me like drowning or something because I was going to be wearing uh, boots and clothes. And they were like, we, uh, we really think Eric should just be like in, in a speedo or something for the shot. And I was just <laughs> like, What? <laughs> <laughs> And, and i'm like D- <laughs> do you have guys- been thinking about how that's gonna look in the video like relative to the rest of like and yeah i was just like dude that's not happening like i'm not gonna it's ridiculous and we had to like go back and forth on it for a while and and yeah it, it, it was almost looking like i was just gonna have to like jump in there without them giving me the okay and just being like well i'm in here now so let's get the shot we ended up you know winning them over on it and you know went great it was interesting. And, uh, I didn't know how it was going to look. Cause there was, there's three divers down there with waterproof cameras, just like 25 feet into the water, just shooting up at me. And right after I, I did the take, they like showed me the shot and how it looked. And I was like, Holy fuck, like that is so cool, man. Like, and then it kind of dawned on me, like that's how they shoot stuff like that in the movies, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was definitely a fun one for sure. Interesting
1: going back to the stop motion things for a sec you hear stories about like nightmare before christmas takes a fucking you know years to do all these little shots how (laughs) long does it take to do all the little movements to get the video going is that like a a month-long process and two months
3: dude it really depends and um i'm yeah i'm sure like nick has gotten pissed a couple times at us for having deadlines and uh because you know as an artist like any artist like you know i'm sure if it was up to him you would take a year to do it to make it perfect or whatever but like that was a you know a masterpiece and he made it in i think it was like a couple months honestly like just yeah it was it was under three months for sure from start to finish and he just like yeah banged it out man like he gets right to work because we're working on some new stuff already and he gets right to work on like the characters first and like, you know, sends us updates and everything. And it's just like, wow, dude, like every step of the way, just like getting super excited, but he, yeah, he, he works really quick. I, I just, I can't wrap my head around how even the shooting part it's just like, do you have to like take one shot and then like move them and another shot? And like, I I don't dude. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always extra impressed with art that like, I can't figure out how, it was made you know that makes me i think like it more and that's one of those things for sure
2: do you keep any of that stuff from the little ritual masks these amazing buildings any of it
3: yeah i was trying to get nick to give me the the little ghost man guy but i think they need it for future stuff so like as soon as we're done using it, i'm taking that thing because it's uh, so sick he gave me some extra little props like i got the guitar and uh I think the gin bottle and the ashtray and stuff, but, uh, I'm definitely gonna, gonna get that. The, uh, Thomas gave me a lot of the, the Gattaca characters, the Dr. Nile and oh, actually i keep this guy right here. Oh, that's oh, awesome. That's so yeah, neat. That's so great. That's, a, that's great. And they got these little, this one doesn't have it, but on their, um, on their platforms, they have like a switch and
1: makes their eyes light up and stuff super cool are you going to do more of that stuff a feature length possibly is there any plans to continue down that absolutely man yeah there's there's more
3: coming already i don't know how much i could say about what the next thing is but uh it's it's definitely more expansive and uh immersive and it's like it's going to be next level i'm I'm super super happy for it or how it's coming along yeah it's gonna be great
0: the boo crew will be right back Earth died quickly after the Great War. The seas were deserts of radioactive dust. The skies choked by clouds of poison gas. But beyond the wastelands, a few survived to return to the cities. Where deep in a matrix of flesh and metal, and discovered that a new enemy had been born. Hardware. You can't stop progress.
1: Speaking of immersive, anyone who hasn't checked it out, your video for Car Bomb oh is shot totally POV and it feels like yeah. you're in an extreme hot experience or something. You wake yeah. up, like you booked a tour at fucking Macame Manor, so you wake up and all these guys are around you with machetes and kicking each other's ass and you're running through this fucking like abandoned mental institution or something. It's terrifying. <laughs> good, yeah. How important is it to you to give the listener the experience and put them in the driver's seat you do it with your music you do it with your visuals you did it on that video
3: it really is something that i have in mind when going about the visual stuff because i think music should be experiential like it always was for me when i was younger you know even lyrically just sort of like put, you know imagining things in my head and and uh you know maybe what the singer whoever wrote the lyrics was like experiencing and going through when they were writing it that said it's also largely interpretive so i think it's important to leave some blanks open to be filled as well by the listener or the viewer but like in that case i think it's you know something like carbon for example is just i'd always wanted to do a a first person thing i had like a you know a rough idea planned out for it how i wanted it to go i actually wanted it to be in the woods originally but uh it was pretty impossible to like light it there the way it needed to be but um tanner's actually and his team like made that come together pretty sick and um that was just one of those things like yeah all the way where it was just like you know pure chaos like you know wanted it to be just like a roller coaster i think to kind of go along with the song and that way i think it's important to you know for me i try to like kind of match because the pacing is everything now it's not even so much always about what you're seeing on the screen as it is the pacing and that i think is really important to interpreting a song the right way or the way that i i intend for it i guess because sometimes if the visual isn't right or if it doesn't hit right i think it, it could be interpreted totally wrong you know and that that's why like sometimes there's songs or bands that like you hear it on an album and, and you're like oh this is pretty cool and then like you see a live video or you go to a show and you see it and it's just like holy fuck, like that really put in their perspective for me, and uh I try to do that as much as I can with visuals, you know I, I think that uh because it is ultimately two dimensional and on a screen you're always limited, which is why like shows to me is 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 really where I feel the most in control but yeah, I'm still you know i I'm very happy with uh with that one and and what we're doing so far I think it's I think we're kind of taking it to. highest level i guess in that way
2: talk to us about the unique thing you did for 50 of your fans in minnesota back in 2018 for the noise release
3: oh man that was nuts it was so awesome yeah it was uh this abandoned house that we got in touch with the owner he was a super cool dude and was like totally down for us to do that we wanted to have like a, a special thing for you know just like a core group of of fans to experience just to kind of i guess see what it would it would be like a sort of a blueprint for more because we're we're, we definitely want to do more of those obviously like you know COVID stuff it's through a wrench in it but uh ultimately it was like something that we had a plan for it and then but some of it was sort of kind of like we'll see what happens as we go type thing like like uh once i learned that the way they were getting there was they're all meeting up and like getting on a bus and like coming three hours into the country in the middle of nowhere i was like dude these kids are gonna freak out
1: (laughs) did they even know where they were going or
3: what was going on no no, they didn't they just knew they knew it was something obviously related to me and it was like you know some kind of event and that's pretty much it and yeah they you know i think they had like signed waivers or something and just like (laughs) you know and it's just like dude what the the fact that they you know even did that i'm just like you guys are really putting a lot of trust in me you know that's uh that's pretty cool it just went like better than i could have thought because originally it was supposed to be just kind of like a album listening thing for noise and then you know a free merch like exclusive limited merch bags and stuff like that but it the last minute I, I was like, no, nah, I, I want to do a show, you know, like we got to get some equipment out there and, and just like cut loose. Cause I think this is going to be something really special. Ended up being like one of my favorite things ever because it kind of took me back to when I was, you know, playing shows with my band in Florida and it was like, there was never more than like 50 people there at one time. Usually it was always just very intimate and like everybody's here for one reason. Yeah. And you know there's no cell phones out usually and everybody's just kind of in the moment having fun and and that's how this was it was just uh wasn't there's was no stage i'm just on the floor you know talking to people in between songs and stuff and uh it was super sick and it i long for that you know i want i want more of that i can't wait to to be able to do more of it it was just it was oh, super i can't
1: cool. wait to see what you come up with man hey, yeah you can watch the video of some of that that's footage and Dude, it's literally like a haunted Victorian decrepit mansion in the middle of nowhere. Dude, yeah. Like, it's insane.
3: There were some rooms I couldn't, I wouldn't go in. It was just, like, freaky, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Was it haunted or have you had any paranormal experiences?
3: That house, I don't know, but it was, I'll tell you, there was, um, the room that we decided to pick to, like, give the merch away in, it was upstairs upstairs really sketchy, creaky stairs that like did not feel safe, obviously. And uh, I mean, the whole, you know, upper level was just like, it hadn't been lived in in forever. We found a room that it was clearly like a little girl's room or something. And it had a bunch of drawings on the wall. Like, yeah, just doodles and like words that were kind of incoherent. You could tell it was like a child. And look yeah, like drawing like her imaginary friends or something. And uh all kinds of, yeah, like just weird, freaky shit. We obviously decided to pick that room to, uh, <laughs> to give the 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 merch away. And um, it, yeah, it was a total, total vibe. As far as other paranormal experiences, I don't know. Um, none that I remember offhand, to be honest. It's something that I, I'm open to exploring more of, I guess. But I think I, when I was younger and like, you know, I would have friends that would, you know, want to go see like, stuff that's abandoned or potentially haunted or stuff like that i would i would do it but I, I kind of i think i would get so worked up that i would just like not even open myself up to it to where it's just like dude this isn't happening like there's no way you know like it like unless something was right there jumping out at me like i like I, I just kind of like uh was in denial i guess of the whole thing but but i have had experiences where i, I feel like you know something else might have been sort of um guiding me in a way you know pertaining to songwriting and stuff like that like the song john d actually is one is probably the first time i I think i felt that because and it's happened with, with a few songs where i uh i didn't write it you know like i didn't i didn't have an instrumental or anything uh, first it was just like words and that came first and, and i didn't sit down and try to write a song like it just uh you know i was kind of going about my day i was on a plane actually like you know reading and um the whole entire like hook just like smacked me in the face at once basically and i just got on my phone and like wrote it down right away that was one of those things where i was just like dude it's, it's kind of weird you know especially it's a song like you know related to, to him and it kind of just felt it felt supernatural i think also too i mean it's you know worth noting that that song was the one in that video together they came out together and that was the one that really kind of uh put me over the edge of um people starting to explore or you know find what i'm doing more and you know how it helped my youtube kind of take off and everything too so it was like kind of, it's always been that thing, that song in that video where I'm just like, damn, I wonder if like there was something out there, like kind of guiding. Interesting. You know? Yeah.
1: Was that at the beginning of your discovery of Hermeticism? It was pretty much
3: in the middle of it, I'd say. Because by then I had, I had dabbled in it lyrically and it was sort of something that I was kind of trying to make sense of, I guess, at the time, like, you know, what I liked, what I didn't like and, and stuff. And then, um, I would say it was probably about like a year into it. And shortly after that's when I got the the Cabalian tattoo. Which is kind of all around that that same time, I think. And a lot of the stuff I put out at that time was kind of like similar lyrically and visually too. Sort of like, you know, all similar themes, I guess.
1: Yeah. How does that speak to you? What specifically like just Hermeticism in general, ceremonial magic, all that kind of stuff? What does it awaken in you?
3: Well, the Kabalian specifically is what I think impacted me the most as sort of kind of the light in the darkness of, of spirituality in general. Cause I never really had a good relationship with any kind of um, organized religion or spiritual belief system or anything except for, you know, Buddhism early on, I think sort of helped me calm down a little bit. Cause I used to just be like a young, angry, hardcore dude going to shows and like, you know, being a dick and getting in the fights all the time. And, you know, then I kind of got into my grandpa got me into Buddhism and it's sort of like awaken this sort of, uh, inner peace to where I was like, I don't need to be a dude starting fights and, you know, there's nothing to prove it doesn't make you the the bigger man to just, you know, initiate that, I guess. And I got really secure in myself in that way from that. And I was drawn to that also because it was sort of like a take it or leave it kind of thing where it was like there's no sort of dogmatic you know like Christianity where it's like you have to do this or you're fucked basically like it wasn't it wasn't like that and later you know shortly after that is when I got into hermeticism and the Kabbalion and that's what uh it was the same type of thing that drew me to it. It was um you know this kind of like this is how the universe works, take it or leave it, you know you could adopt parts of it into your you know daily routine or not you know just know that this is the truth basically and that to me spoke volumes because it was like it was like wow i i have something to believe in and it's not you know i don't have to like worship anything i guess like i can believe in something bigger than myself and you know not be a nihilist and and know something is is all around us but it it isn't this thing that you have to um surrender everything to and credit for every good thing that you do i guess and that's why it was just so important to me when i first got into it and and that's ultimately why i you know got the tattoo even you know i sort of at the time i i was saying that it was like it was kind of like a joke but you know sort of serving as like a billboard for um this thing that i Credited for saving saving my life in a lot of ways, and uh, hoping that other people would would maybe see that. And obviously, like it's a head tattoo of you know something that isn't an everyday word. People are going to look it up and you know find it and maybe get something from it. And that's exactly what ended up happening. You know, since then I've had countless people tell me that. So it's it's something I'm really happy about.
0: The new album uh, Anti Icon is loaded with such uh, so many great tracks, man. Some of my favorites are Hydrochloride and lazaretto Hal rap falling down each of them very sonically and incredibly sounding what was your favorite track off the record to uh, compose
3: oh man so hard it's definitely not one for sure uh there's there's a couple lazaretto is for sure one i mean that was that was off the bat my favorite song and then also uh i would say falling down too for each for different reasons. I mean, Lazaretto was just sort of like this balls to the walls. Like I'm going to just try a bunch of stuff that I've sort of tried before, but separately and just kind of bring it all together and see what happens. And me and Arthur, you know, were in the studio and once I had done vocals and we just kind of looked at each other, like, dude, this is, this is something special, you know? And it was just like, I couldn't stop listening to it. I was so like happy with it. And, uh, it really felt like the best representation of myself, I think. And falling down was one of my favorites to to make. It's sort of bittersweet because I mean it wasn't, you know, a happy time. I was going through a lot emotionally and uh, I was, you know, feeling very isolated and alone at the time too. But I was up in the mountains in Cerro Gordo with Arthur and Ross Robinson actually, who if you guys don't know he's uh, done a lot of the he did like the first corn and slipknot to countless just amazing records sepultura yeah and i knew that i wanted like a a slower song on the record either piano or acoustic guitar or something and uh arthur was i went out to smoke a cigarette and then i came into the airbnb and arthur was like playing that the riff and i was like what is that and he's like i've been kind of working on it like past couple of days and i was like dude that's like amazing like that's hitting me really hard i, st- I kind of started putting some journal entries to it that were just sort of like streams of consciousness and uh i just i really needed that song you know it got out a lot of stuff um that i was feeling and and uh it was really re- rewarding when it was finally done because it was the last one of the last things that we tracked so it was kind of like Getting all this crazy shit out, and then also the records like you know finished being finished uh with tracking now at least, so it was kind of like a a big weight off my chest, I think in a lot of ways, but yeah, but I mean every single one was just I have a really special relationship with, you know, like it's just every track is uh is incredibly meaningful and has a lot like even the interlude like winds of change was just like another one we were up in the mountains in Saragordo, Gordo, like tracking in this ghost town. Actually. Yeah. Speak of, you know, haunted stuff. I mean, that place was probably haunted. It was, it was called the American hotel. Um, in Saragordo, and it's from the early 1800s. And, uh, it's just a total like saloon, you know, like just pretty much untouched from the 1800s. That and, is uh, cool. Yeah. We were tracking it. It was gnarly. Yeah. That's where we did most of the interlude. It was just, yeah. I mean, every, like every moment on that record is, is like special to me. Like I, and I truly mean it it's all tied to some kind of experience or emotion or something.
0: I know that you're passionate about the cosmos. How did you become interested in astrophysics and, uh, do you have any favorite theories?
3: Oh man. Yeah. That's something I still, whenever I'm, I feel like I'm working too hard or I'm like, you know, stressed out. I like kind of take a few days off and I just like bury myself in, you know, either, documentaries or shows that i have watched or like try to find new ones or something because like yeah space is kind of like my meditation almost um i guess it started with i mean it's always been something that i I was interested in even in school but i think where i really jumped in because you know what made me feel like i could digest a lot of the the science side of everything was watching cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like as cliches, as it might be like, it was, as soon as it popped on Netflix, I saw it and I was staying in California at the time with some friends before I moved out here. And um, I put on the first episode and I just like binge watched everything. And I was like, Holy shit. And then I watched it again, like all of it. And that's when I started like retaining everything. And I was just digging deeper and deeper. And I got, neil grass Tyson's book and then a few other books about specific topics and you know just kind of like immersing myself in that because it's such an it's an endless topic and journey when you're when you're getting into astrophysics or space or quantum physics even and the theories alone like will just make your head spin you know like just how how yeah like how dense it is and uh it makes you feel small but like in the best way i guess is why is why it makes me feel so good you know cuz it kind of just like minimizes a lot of shit that i think is like super important you know but
1: it's not i guess it that sometimes i just need to feel that way you know to feel better but and then the second part of leo's question was if he had any favorite theories damn there's a lot i guess though
3: to pick one that's like sort of uh digestible because it's um it's talked about more than some of the others is the the multiverse theory which is something that i kind of when i first heard about it it was like oh that's cool you know but i didn't think much of it or didn't really go back to it because i don't really like immerse myself in things that are pretty much all speculation because i can't get excited about that you know like i uh if it's stuff that is like except like atlantis probably is like the only thing that is there's not really a lot of evidence for it all but i still am like really into it but everything else for the most part it's like there's got to be like some super high level astrophysicists supporting it or lots of evidence to back it before I, i really start like getting into it and once stephen hawking started backing the multiverse theory i was like whoa dude Like seriously, you know, and then I kind of looked more into it and I was just like, this, if anything, supports the idea, I guess, that we could be living in a simulation of some kind, you know, and it, again, it's another one of those things that just kind of made me feel small and sort of, um, I guess, like, reevaluate everything and, uh, you know, just the thought that there's an infinite amount of uh, universes where everything that could possibly happen is happening so for example there's there's a universe where we did this entire interview minus me talking about the multiverse theory and then there's a universe where right now my computer dies for no reason or something you know and it's just like but like but we're living in the one where it doesn't and it's just like you know that's why sometimes like weird shit happens and you don't know why and and you're like my friend would always say like, dude, I think we just like jump timelines or something. Like, <laughs> like, we ended up in the wrong universe for a second and now we're back in the right one. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's something that, I'm, that I always trip out on and it's just, uh, you know, over time it kind of just, it's one of those things too, that just makes me kind of like take stuff easy. You know, I just just kind of like take it easy and, uh, enjoy the ride, I guess in life and not, you know, try to not th- think so hard about stuff, but Yeah.
1: This is a weird intersection where the occult and, uh, and space collide. But have you been out to the devil's dam out in Pasadena? Have you heard any of those stories? I have. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I haven't heard many stories, but, um, when I first moved to Cali, I, I went out there actually. Yeah. And I, uh, I just remember I took like some photos and stuff. I, I actually posted one on my Instagram, but it's, it's not there anymore. It's an old one, like with the, the face and like, you could, see those and everything. Yeah, dude, crazy. What are some of the what's like a story that that's crazy about
1: that place? Well, I, I mean the main story is that that's where Jack Parsons, who founded the JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, used to do rituals with L. Ron Hubbard, and oh, Crowley was, was like kind of his muse or whatever, and they would try to open the gates to hell they thought was going to be, you know, opening at that dam. There was all sorts of crazy stuff they would that's do. That's right.
3: I know. I do know that story. For some reason, I thought that that was in a, a different like devil, something else. Cause there's like a lot different.
1: Yeah. That's dude. That's crazy that that's there. Jack Parsons, dude, that whole story, man. I could read about that guy forever. <laughs> Gnarly.
3: Hang out with Al Ron Hubbard and it's
1: crazy. Yeah. The, the craziest thing is they, the two of them, I think even Crowley was like, what are you guys doing when they did this? It's called like the Babylon working ritual, where for months, L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons. And I mean, Jack Parsons is a guy who like, you know, basically invented rockets and he would collect dust off the tails of comets and things like one of the founders of you know modern space exploration, basically. And he was just like really into the occult. And so, yeah, him and L. Ron Hubbard would do this ritual. And it was months long of chanting and they were trying to bring like an incarnation of an actual goddess in the world. And that's who he was going to be with. He was trying to summon a goddess and uh, they would like masturbate on, on ritualistic tablets and chant and do all this stuff. And then finally, like a woman showed up at his house and he was like, you're the goddess. (sighs) And I, they were together for a while and Crowley was like oh, wow. uh, I don't know if I would mess with this and yeah it's a crazy story Dude, if Crowley's telling you something <laughs> probably not right that's right. Yeah. Like, turn and run. Right. Yeah. Oh, and yeah eventually like he basically blew himself up like he, he was found yeah. in an explosion in his home because he, he was obsessed he was trying to open some portals and things I guess one of the theories is that he was trying to do it trying to figure out a way to do it and he ended up blowing himself up but they found him sprawled in his house covered in papers on rocketry and pentagrams drawn everywhere and occult manuscripts all over the place. So it's very interesting story, but yeah, his name's kind of been buried from, from NASA and all that stuff, but it's crazy. Yeah. Science. Well, definitely like not super proud of it, really yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah just a crazy, yeah, crazy how it intersects
3: right but yeah that sort of reminds me of the the john d story too in a way where uh him and edward kelly spent like countless hours you know trying to uh summon lady medini and you know eventually wrote the uh what was it, the emerald tablets right or inocchio no, yeah Enochian, yeah, Enochian, yeah it's like it kind of seems like because it, with him, though, I mean specifically, what's always stood out to me, I think, and why he was sort of my favorite magician or or occultist, is uh he seems like he truly was like a good guy, like pure of heart. Like I don't think he wanted to uh, attain those powers to do bad stuff or to uh, you know become some kind of god or something like you know Edward Kelly did, obviously, and um, you know. Crowley came after him, everything. And, and pretty much most people I think who dabble in that it's sort of like, kind of, that's sort of the end game. But I think it seems like John D just kind of wanted to learn about the world, like learn the secrets. And, um, you know, obviously it ended up getting the best of him and, you know, like it does most people who go too far, but, uh, he's always kind of been like my hero in that, I guess. Cause he's like, he seems like the good guy, almost like the protagonist, you know, who just, uh, didn't have a strong enough personality to, um, overcome edward kelly's greediness or something
1: yeah the whole story about the Anakian alphabet too i read about that and it's like yeah. i don't know it's almost scary like they still say to this day like by writing out some of these names in the Anakian alphabet and speaking them aloud you instantly like they warn magicians be careful because the moment you say the name you've created like a bind and the only yeah. way to get out of that bind is to do it like a banishing spell or something that's going to, you know, separate that bind. So be careful when you start delving in this stuff. Cause they say it's very real. It's fascinating to me, man.
3: Yeah. And I've always, I've always had a deep respect f- for it. And that's why I've never dabbled super far like that. And, you know, it's something that I uh, have always been, I guess that's sort of almost, you know, I got into, to John D he was like one of the first ones I got into. So I almost kind of like learned from his mistakes in a way like you know uh, and proceeded with caution from there on out and and i guess kind of like took it easy in a way where it was just mainly like for learning for like educational purposes i guess is really like where where it ends for me for for safety reasons you know because i do i do believe i I have enough of a a respect for it to where like i'm not gonna write it off you know
1: possibility so no a thousand percent one last question before i I realized we said 20 minutes and now we're almost at an hour 20 because you've been amazing to (laughs) talk to dude basically like if you could sum it up i know it'd be super hard but what this new album represents to you as far as your own personal journey damn um i guess to keep it as simple as possible
3: it's sort of like me now looking back and kind of reaching down and sort of having a conversation with my past self that is half my age, basically. Going through what I was going through and dealing with the problems that were seemingly like my end all be all of my existence at the time. And then shortly after, with, you know, my dad passing and everything that came after that. I guess sort of me talking to him and Telling him like just hang in there in a way and like it's it's gonna it's gonna get better and it's all for a reason and um, <laughs> kind of like that you know this endless loop of you know if time travel were possible and I did go back and, and do that it would mean that I had to in order for me to make it out of that I guess if that makes sense it's kind of one of those inception things so it's like I felt like I had to make this record to, to do that in order for everything to be at peace, you know, in my life, I think, because it's the first one that is like, I think more truly autobiographical than uh, anything else that I've put out. So yeah, it's kind of like closure in a way in that respect too. So yeah. And then, and then with that, you know, with the relative side of interpreting music it's also for the people listening to it also where it's like you can apply all or most of this stuff to your situation and your problems too you know because although everybody's life's different we all have a different struggle it's just sort of different variations of the same thing you know it's just like you know the same problems with different clothes on or whatever it's like you know it's kind of yeah it's just it's more hopeful i guess it's more like a hang in there type body of of work you know so yeah i guess hopefully that sums it up
1: yeah powerfully said man dude thank you so much for being so gracious with your time we really appreciate it so much it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 171. Special thanks to our guest, Ghost Main. Follow him at Ghost on Instagram. At time of release, check out his new album, Anti-Icon, available everywhere as of October 21st.
2: Music for this episode from Ghost Main. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast, haunt the Boo Crew at crew dot com. Tales From The Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales From The Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye.